Sixth episode of the OpFact Cast, a podcast that has endured through the years despite technical difficulties that seem insurmountable. My name's Steve Cuff, and joining me today, I've got Sean Glennis. Hello, Steve. Hi, Sean. Glad to have you here. Uh, a second ago, I didn't know if we were going to be able to keep you around, so that was that was scary. Yeah, I almost um, I don't know whatever that stupid Infinity War meme is. I almost did that. <laughs> Uh, we also got Adam Myros here. Hi, Steve. A man who hasn't experienced any technical difficulties. Adam Myros, what's your secret? Uh, I spend way too much on audio equipment for the level of uh, fidelity we strive for. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And, of course, we got Jake Trapila here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, buddy. Thank you for the peanuts voice. I really appreciate that. Holy shit. You're very welcome. I'm so glad I'm not echoing like a spaceman right now. Like, my life feels a lot better. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's good to be here. It's fucking hot as balls. I'm sweating in places I didn't know I hey, could sweat. That's what Route 66 is all about. Sweaty balls? No. Getting your kicks. Oh, getting my kicks. Yeah, sure. That That's true. That's true. Oh, uh, my God. It's that hot, huh? Must be a front came through here. It's nice and uh, temperate. Fuck you guys. Uh, and you know this is a very entertaining podcast because we're already talking about the weather, which the means weather. we've got a lot on our minds. Oh, yeah. Hey, course. help out that weather. <laughs> my weather balls are balls. sticking to my legs. <laughs> yeah. That's I, how many podcasts are just that nowadays? It's four white guys talking about the weather and their balls. That's, I checked that's all the I checked the rain gauge this morning. Looks like we got a quarter inch. <laughs> Um, you live on a fucking farm. I bet you have a rain gauge, I, don't you? I do indeed have a rain gauge. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, so what are we talking about? I don't know. What do we even hear? All I've all I've, I've talked about is troubleshooting audacity problems. So I mean, we could probably talk about that. Do a whole podcast on it. You know what I love about we'll, troubleshooting we'll, we'll audacity? Keep behind the curtain for the listeners. What's that? <laughs> the Bloom thing that I troubleshooting audacity. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky! It's it's possessed. Ooh, this audacity. Is, uh, did you guys see the trailer for Unfriended Dark Web? Is, is that <sighs> oh, the one yeah. with with uh, yeah. Harold from Harold and Kumar? No, no that's, that's searching. Yeah, that's like Unfriended Art House. Oh, yeah. Unfriended! I didn't know they they went to Art House with the uh, the Skype and Facebook movies. Uh, until now, yeah, you, you can make anything with the computer these days. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> No, I have I have not seen the trailer for, trailer for that. Is it exciting and thrilling and looks like shit? It's dark and webby. Mm, it's uh, good. It doesn't have any seeming connection to uh, the first Unfriended. Uh, it doesn't seem to even have a, a paranormal bent to it. But uh, nobody poops their pants. Well, I can't speak to the. We can only hope. <laughs> Spoiler. But it seems to be some sort of a crime syndicate uh, thing, which I suppose is. <laughs> Is an odd direction to take the franchise. Is it? But is, is it still a movie that's recorded on Skype? 
Yes. Yeah. They yeah. like. So they, it's a Skype crime movie. But yeah, they're in the dark. Yeah. Side. So and there's like a hundred of the ghost users. Right. Some guy like picks up a laptop out of a lost and found and just starts uh, going to town with it. And then the the dark web's like, hey, you have my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's yeah. what happens. That's why I stay away from those <clears throat> bitcoins, guys. It's difficult. Yeah. I can't wait for unfriended pawn shop. <laughs> Unfriended Craigslist. Uh, the, the possibilities are endless. They, they really are. I mean, it's just, it's a treasure trove of uh, cinematic glory. And the thing is, is like, it's always changing because Skype is constantly updating their, their looks. So, you know, every movie's just slightly different. It's going to be like uh, Unfriended Wine Mom Facebook group. Ooh, I like that. The Unfriended Book Club. Oh. Unfriended Book Club crossover. Sean, you actually saw Book Club, didn't you? Hell yeah. Why the fuck did you go see Book Club? Because it's good, my friend. <laughs> but, but what compelled you? Were you just like, oh, uh, in town or... No. Yeah, you didn't know it was good going in, did you? Uh, no, I was open to it, but uh, um, Sophie and I just wanted to go to a movie, and there was a real drought for a couple weeks, and I was like, what about Book Club? And she was like, yeah. So we went, and um, it's not a it's not a great movie by any stretch, but it, it hits a stride, and I mean, it, it has the chemistry of... Diane Keaton and, and Berg, Candace Bergen and uh, Jane Fonda and Steenburgen. I mean, the, like the production quality is so low, but uh, it gets pulled off by their um, their chemistry and a couple a couple dudes, a couple dudes show up, do the movie some favors. And that there's a Herzog joke in there. And that white hot premise, I could see why they pull it. Yeah, off. it's <laughs> about old ladies trying to fuck. Is that the long uh, short it's of it? A, it's, it's about them rediscovering. Um, sex and through their and their relationships through uh, reading uh, Fifty, the 50 Shades. Shades. Yeah, man, wow, it's not bad. Not That's bad. How Diane Keaton got her groove back. <clears throat> I'll tell you what I rated below it. Huh? what's that? Ari Aster's debut film. Oh, Heredity. This is going to be a fun discussion. <laughs> uh, Sean, uh, that's not the name of the movie, is it? Steve? Isn't it hereditary? Hereditary. <laughs> Close well, enough. Well, are we going to let that segue go? I mean, that was. Uh, come on. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty brutal. That was pretty brutal. We actually we, <laughs> we saw we saw a bunch of movies this week, and uh, one of them was pretty good. But Sean is a he's a philistine, and he doesn't like. No, it. upgrade was great. I did like it. Oh my god! No, no, we're starting. We're starting strong. We're starting hot. We started revenge, revenge, baby. <laughs> I really want to talk about Hereditary really bad because I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around why it left such a bad taste in your mouth, Sean. I'm literally in the middle of the road. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's good. Um, I think that the first, um, and I know Myos is on board for this too, but I think that the first like hour and a half, I was like, I was on board. I wasn't like, this is great, but I was intrigued and like, it was contingent on it making a great um, finale and really making use of this uh, absolutely insane 127-minute runtime. Um, and it mm. instead uh, pushed me out of the car and uh, drove away. Well, maybe you stuck your head out of the car window and got decapitated. You ever think about it like that? Yeah, I pulled my window, myself into that one, didn't I? But, um, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into specifics, but I think that it goes, I think it has something interesting going for it, although not perfect, and then it just abandons what I what I liked for some very uh, House of the Devil type stuff that I don't think it earned. 
Okay. Uh, what What is this movie about, really? Like, what's what's the base premise? Uh, it's about a family uh, grieving, and uh, they're not. It's about a family who loses um, a, a matriarch, and kind of like kind of grieving, but not really knowing how to deal with them. Or would do deal with that loss because she was kind of it seems like she was kind of overbearing presence, and then um, uh, there's another loss within the family, and that tosses them into some serious grief, and they really don't know how to communicate between each other, and then it goes off into some occult shit. <laughs> it sure yeah, does. Yeah, well, I mean, the the occult shit is Put there. It it's there. I, I think it's interesting because. Throughout the course of the film, it sort of goes back and forth because it is. It's, it's a movie about like grief and loss and, and how people deal with that or, in their case, how they don't deal with it right. um, and, and mental illness and whether, you know, it's just if it's passed down to you, it's passed down to you or if there's, you know, something you can do to address it and, and you know, Fucking be damn. proactive. What the fuck is going on? We got ourselves a car alarm. <laughs> hey! Not me. If anyone has their technical difficulties, bingo card out this evening. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> fuck me. No, hereditary. <laughs> hereditary or heredity, uh, as some call it. Uh, <laughs> I, I I just can't figure this movie out. I guess I don't know. It's it's a movie that I've been thinking about since I saw it, and it's a movie that uh, I guess I would agree with Sean that for me it was. You know, ninety minutes of quality, but I think our opinions on the quality of that differ slightly. Like I was, yeah. I was whole hog on board uh, from roundabout the the earlier referenced decapitation. It was I I knew nothing about this film going in. I hadn't seen a trailer. I really had heard some good buzz and. So a big cardboard uh, stand. Yeah, that was there for about a year in our movie theater. But I oh, and it makes use of a model. Am, am I correct in that? It makes use of the model setup. Right there, that model <laughs> you does know, in fact exist in the film, sort know, of. Yeah. You know what doesn't uh, make good use of the model? Uh, the film. Yes. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, although there you, are you times didn't you didn't like the you didn't like the use of the the little miniatures, Sean. I I liked I liked the look of it and everything, but I was waiting for it to like mean something. Oh. I, I think. <laughs> well, I, can I can I talk about that a little bit? Because yeah. I thought it, I thought it made a lot of sense. So okay, you have this woman who, well, you have this family. Okay, so they they lose their matriarch, like you mentioned, and then they lose their daughter. And throughout this whole thing, this woman she's an artist, and she focuses specifically on miniatures, and she's basically recreating scenes from her life yeah. and so she's she's using these tiny tiny detailed tableaus of like horrific things that have happened to her and she's yeah. just throwing herself into it and she's doing this like minute detailed work on recreating these things but she doesn't actually deal with the things in real life so i thought it was a really interesting way to Sort of frame yeah. the fact that she doesn't give a fuck about what's going on, and she tries to car, uh, compartmentalize things, and that that goes along well with the husband too, who he is kind of complacent, but in a totally different way. So while Tony Collette's character, the the mother in this, she's clearly like mentally ill and and on the verge of a psychotic break, 
he's trying to hold the family together, but the way that he does that is to basically shut down and pretend like nothing right. is happening. So he's like encouraging her to throw herself into her work uh, while you know all this weird shit is happening, and he's just like popping sleeping pills and and not addressing any of the conflict. But at the same time, he's also disturbed by some of her models. I, I mean, I yeah, I definitely get like. I, I think that's a smart reading of Tony Collette's character, and I, I definitely read it as like her deal, her way of dealing with things. But like, I, what I don't understand is like why we're pulling into like the second shot of the film enters into the model as some sort of like micro house within a house thing and then it doesn't really do anything with that and we're just left there and that's kind of a major and it, it pulls attention to itself like this long pan and then zoom and I don't really know what it's trying to say with that and it never goes anywhere it just kind of like leaves it there you see I, I could have a read on that too I don't necessarily like the the read because it plays into the aspects of the film that don't work for me but it, it seems to me that uh, the miniatures are an elaborate construction and in the end, it, it seems like their entire situation and lives are, are an elaborate construction of this outside force, this group of devil worshippers. But she's constructing it. Yeah. Well, that's she's ancillary. recreating it. Yeah. Yeah. She. Guess- it still speaks to a, a force creating uh, a representation of oh, this I life. See. I mean, it, I the see. fact that it's hers is not really relevant. She is sure. In the world of the model, she is is the builder, the creator. Mm-hmm. I, see. I also, I, I think it it gets some kind of like unique. Uh, they're not really like scares, but they're just sort of like shocks or jarring moments. Uh, there's, I mean, when she recreates the again aforementioned decapitation scene, there's something really just like gross and upsetting about seeing it in that format. Especially because the yeah. way the the decapitation scene, which we keep talking about it, but it really is. We like, yeah, it's it's very <laughs> it's very jarring. We're, da- we're dancing around it. We need to discuss this sequence. This is true. Okay. Um, this is where yeah. the movie for me. I was like, is this going to be great? Because <laughs> it's set up like it's going to be, you know, some sort of exorcist type thing, a creepy kid movie. Oh, this kid, something's up with this kid. Yeah. And, and then- this kid is very creepy, by the way. Like, just her eating candy was just making me, like, feel nauseous. Just- yeah, I asked, so- I asked Sophie afterwards. I, I, yeah. Go ahead, Jake. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I didn't really know much about the film going in. I'd seen a few trailers, and the only thing that really stuck with me was they keep using this the creepy kid's face and that clicking sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That clicking thing she does with her tongue. I didn't do like, I, Who did that? Somebody just did it. Well, I don't know. Wasn't me. Yeah. Let's, oh, it no. Was, it was, oh, no. It, it All right, it was Sean. The crazed demon. <laughs> so... Yeah, and I thought I thought exactly this. I thought going in, this might be some sort of uh, uh, omen situation with Damien, but it's this little girl. But uh, thirty minutes in the movie, um, she has an older brother who's like uh, in high school, and he goes to a party, and his mother forces him to take her uh, with him to the party. And at the party, she eats some uh, cake with nuts in it, and she has a nut allergy, so she starts having a reaction, and the brother uh, rushes out of the party with her in the car. And she sticks her head out of the window to get fresh air, and he swerves the car to avoid a dead animal on the road and uh, grazes a telephone pole, which takes the daughter's head off. And Clean off. As, 
yeah, clean off. And that moment, like, there was, like, a profound visceral reaction in the entire theater, and I'd never experienced this before, but I saw it with my fiance Casey, and she covered her mouth and with her other hand grabbed my hands. Thank you. And, like, I'd never seen her react to anything like that before, and the entire theater sat dead silent for the next ten minutes, and it's a very effective scene, um, and I thought, oh, the film is, like, had me hooked there, and I was like, I want to see where this goes. But unfortunately, over the next 90 minutes, it just kind of sort of unravels over itself as this, uh, both as this, like, story of mental illness passed down through uh, through lineage, and then also it's a crazy occult movie where they're trying to resurrect a demon worshiper. I don't know. But but the, <laughs> the that initial decapitation sequence is outstandingly well executed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, it, it makes you make this immediate logic leap, which I was willing to go along with because, it, again, at that point, I was like, where is this movie going? What am I watching? What is this going to be? I am excited to be watching it. But, you know, it makes this logic leap where the son just kind of drives home and goes to bed and uh, after the body is, is discovered by Tony Collette, which, again, is is. I suppose you'd call it part of the same sequence, but it's horribly affecting. Uh, yeah, they just go on with their lives, and it's like, you know, this is not something that you could just go on with your life after. I don't think it would be like uh, your your teenage son is high and uh, has an accident that results in the death of the daughter. That's That's... Not gonna. That's, that's not gonna land you in your parents' house for the next few years. Let's say that. <laughs> that's that's what I thought my audience was reacting to was that the fact that he was driving high. Right. Yeah. Really? I mean. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, he I, would be. Um, he would be. He would be in prison for such a thing. We'll say that. I. Uh, I don't no, think but I like. I really. I. <clears throat> I really liked um, that scene when he comes home and just goes into bed uh, because it was such a strange it was such a strange thing that I could buy and um, it, it, it just it dealt with it in a way I hadn't seen before and I liked that and then they have like this freaking scene where she blows up at the table that kind of just like blows all subtext out the out the door that I didn't I, I I just had this feeling at arm's length past that scene where, like I said, I was kind of just always waiting for it to really lock in yeah. for me, and it never did. And um, at one point, um, I tweeted about this, but um, Sophie was like, this is just ordinary people. Uh, well, which, it's certainly, I mean, yeah, it, it's got it's got ordinary people. I think you, can, you could look at, like, Autumn Sonata or, like, Cries and Whispers, too, and it's got... A lot of similarities yeah. there, even in the way that it. Yeah, shot. at one point she she cuts her vagina with glass, and I was like, okay, this is a little too on the nose. All right, buddy. Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, uh, there's when during the actual like decapitation car crash scene, um, I love the use of close ups and how they're not like it's not a particularly gory scene, and it's mm-hmm. more effective because it's not. Uh, so we we do see the actual severed head later. They show it to us like in the daytime, like covered uh, with ants. Briefly. Yeah, covered with ants. But when it initially happens, it's just it's this horrible thud, and then the camera cuts away quickly, and her, like her body is slumped down in the back seat, so you don't see it. And 
all we see then is just this close up on the son's face, and I agree with you that it was it was really affecting and kind of an interesting take that he just was just he just went home he just mm-hmm. drove home, and it's completely in line with just how the family deals with bad situations, especially the dad. Like you could tell that this kid is is definitely like his father's son. Because later in the movie, when he has, you know, kind of like a little possession freak out where he, you know, like contorts his body and slams his own face into a desk, which is prominently featured in the trailer, if you've seen that. Uh, When his dad takes him home, you're like, oh, he's probably going to take him to the hospital or something like that. No, he just drives him home, puts him to bed. No big deal. And even like the most the dad ever does to address like trauma and, and mental illness in his family is at one point he starts to write an email to a psychiatrist about his wife that he doesn't finish. Like, that's the best that he can muster. He can't do anything else. Well, well there's also the uh, little bit of him. Uh, he receives an email from the, the funeral home that buried Tony Collette's mother, and her grave had apparently been desecrated, and he doesn't even uh, tell her because he doesn't want to worry her. Mm-hmm. With the information. So, did you guys have like so? <clears throat> people have like said that the reactions have been ecstatic and that they were like, you know, um, <clears throat> holding on to their chest the whole time and just like devastated all that stuff. Did you guys have that feeling of like tenseness throughout? Because I didn't have I could I didn't have that and I was ready for it. Yeah, no, I was like raptly interested throughout the bulk of the film until it, it you know, kind of. Just decided it wanted to be full on Rosemary's Baby or something, and uh, I, but up to that point, I would not describe it as a movie that I found especially terrifying. I just found it really engaging, and there were moments that didn't really elicit a traditional horror movie reaction, but were still like I was shocked that they went in certain directions. Like there were moments with with Tony Collette's character, like uh, the stuff involving. Like, just this casual fucking thing about sleepwalking and trying to burn her kids alive with turpentine or something. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, when that, like, plays out later in the film in, like, a nightmare, I found that to be incredibly affecting. I This movie does yeah. a lot right for me, but, uh, man, I just, I I can't get over where it goes in the end, I guess, but I, yeah, I don't know if that's fair of me. I mean, it still explores a lot of these things thematically, and and I'm not entirely sure whether the ending undercuts that the work that was done previously or not. It, it felt that way in the moment. It felt like what the f- why why are you doing this? You threw away all this great setup, but you know, I guess you could say similar things about Rosemary's baby and it, it, that never feels that way. You, you're, you're allowed to make it paranormal and, and go mm-hmm. in a certain direction without throwing away your thematic building blocks. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work for me. That that third act did not work for me at all. I went from like yeah. really, really invested in this movie and interested in where it was going to Literally the last twenty minutes, I'm like, "Will this fucking thing end?" I just want to get out of the theater. I don't want to watch this anymore. I, I'm not enjoying yeah. it. I, I want to leave. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit? Because I, I thought the ending was a, was a little bit messy too, just because I, I, I don't know. Like, clearly, there's this occult supernatural element to the entire movie, but it's unclear where it slots in exactly. 
Well, there's like the thing. There's like that mark, correct? Yeah, yeah. There's there's the symbol, and and there's allusions to cutting off the head. Yeah, and, and just that the mother was into some weird stuff. Uh, not the mother, the grandmother. My mistake. Uh, yeah. Spoiler but, alert: Ann Dowd turns out to be a weird. Like, come on, like, just use Ann Dowd without. It's she's becoming a caricature of herself. She's great. Yeah. But like yeah. I just want to see her in something where she's a human. Well, and I I thought that's where this was headed. It was like I thought it was just going to be baseless suspicions and it was all part like of subverting Colette's, like mania, okay. which which seemed to be the case. Again, the bulk of this film is about mental illness and generational pain and anguish and how we react to that and yeah, I, I thought it was going to end up that Ann Dowd was just another fellow griever and uh, all this was being projected on her. I thought the introduction of the seance was just a, another a way for Colette's character to focus her grief and obsession on, on this particular aspect uh, rather than, you know, being an actual paranormal element, which, mm-hmm. uh, again, it's not fair for me to say I... This is how I would have made the movie. That's that's not that's pretty baseless, I guess. But uh, nonetheless, it's it's kind of where the movie let, steered me. I was just like, well, did we have to do this? Round about that time we're discri- discussing with the the son. Uh, that that is a prominent Anne Dowd scene where she's just like across the way from the school, going like, hey, "Get out!" And then then the the son proceeds to obviously suffer from some possession uh occurrence which is not it's not subtle it's not like oh is this uh it, it was not it was clearly a physical manifestation of the paranormal at that point it, it was hard to to sell it as ambiguous which was kind of easier to do throughout the bulk of the film and uh at that point i was just like oh this is what we're doing uh no thanks <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I would not mind the occult aspects of the film if the details around the possession and what it entails and what is required weren't so murky in the movie. Um, because as we mentioned, the grandmother was up to no good and uh, she was apparently awaiting Tony Collette to have a child and she had a son. And apparently this demon, uh, Payman, is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently Payman thrives in the body of males. But Tony Collette kept the mother or kept her son away from her mother. So when the daughter was born, the mother uh, or the grandmother passed it on into her. And the entire film is just a ruse to get the daughter killed so that the son can get possessed. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's... It's, that's pretty much it. So why do... Why, um... Does anyone know why Gabriel Byrne lived up to his name so well? Because <laughs> he got lit on fire? Yeah, why did that transformation happen? Because she's, like, burning her arm or whatever, testing out, and then she, like, throws it in there. And then I think, I think expecting some sort of, like, self-sacrifice, and then he burns... Mm-hmm. With a U, and I at that point I was just like I can't put this together. I can't do the mental gymnastics, and I don't know that I care to. What is the logic there? Can anybody parse that? <clears throat> I can't even begin to explain why that happened, how it happened. No, I because you're right. It clearly earlier she attempts to burn the book, 
and when she throws in the fire, her sleeve catches on fire. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why the switch happens. That's it was I, it, very strange. I couldn't parse it either. I, it's just that that moment, that scene in particular, is where the film decided to go very yeah. arch and over the top, and to the point where it almost it almost read like a, a Sam Raimi movie or something. Suddenly, it was. Drag me to hell. Yeah, it was just nonstop kind of <laughs> spookum goofs throughout the rest of the movie. You know, drag me out of the theater if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I struggle with that too. The only thing I could think of is that, and this, I don't know how much of the rest of the movie this undercuts, but that none of the stuff really mattered. Like it was, it was just about like positioning these people as pawns. And mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it, like the book didn't matter that much and it was just whatever. And then also the other thing I was thinking was the uh, the, the demon guy, what's his name, Payment or whatever. They said that he's like, oh, he's a demon of mischief. So he just does whatever the fuck that he wants. So then it's like, well, is he is he is he the one in the house that's like doing the. Uh, that when, that's summoned by the seance or whatever, and is he just fucking with these people? And it doesn't really matter what they do because he's just going to do whatever the hell he wants. That's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like from a very early stage that the end of the movie had already been decided um, because the, the telephone pole that the girls decapitated on it has it bears Payman's insignia, which was also on the grandmother's necklace when she passed. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, so a lot of a lot of what we're watching is really just out of these the control of the characters. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I was thinking too is, I don't know, it it's it's interesting too because like at the end, the one thing that stuck with me because you guys are right, like the end, it's just like it ramps up the pacing to an alarming rate, almost like a Sam Raimi, and everything just gets kind of messy and weird. There's just like grinning dudes with penises everywhere and. Uh, yeah, shit's on fire, and you know you got you got mom cutting her head off with piano yeah. wire floating in the air. You, you got a lot going on here, but the the one thing that stuck with me is like that's the moment where you're like, okay, this is what this is. It's been demon stuff all along. Like it's not just some Tony Collette nightmare going on, but just the the son's reaction once he falls out of the window and then gets possessed like heavy finger quotes whatever the fuck's going on there he's just like stone faced it almost looks confused at what's going on so it's just like are they trying to are they trying to do another swerve here where we're supposed to be like oh is he really possessed by this demon or is he just kind of going along with it but but it's like at that point we just saw tony collette like flying and cutting her own head off so i i think we're fully on board with the demon thing now so i i don't know yeah it's, I, it's difficult yeah i think his intent was trying to replicate what the the younger actress was doing earlier in the film sure yeah. which is being a stone-faced gross goblin child right i think that's what he was trying to do in that last scene but uh, <coughs> it, it didn't i could see why it would be a bit confusing to read it that way it, it didn't necessarily read that way in the film and yeah i don't know this movie Duh. Did you guys notice that the ending is the exact same ending as The Witch? <laughs> yeah, I it was like The Witch. I was it, kind no, of it, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, although okay, here's the thing though with go, The Witch. Go ahead, Sean. Sean, go ahead. Yes. Oh, I I was just saying I was kind of like I was thinking about The Witch during it and I was, because it it has a similar 
it's it's working from a similar vantage point and i was just like want i really wanted that <clears throat> i guess maybe what i really like in horror i mean I, i'm not gonna I, I shouldn't frame this as a preference because i i think that i don't know it's hard. anyway i was yearning for something like the witch because it is it kind of knows what it is and i felt like hereditary didn't know what it was I'd agree with that, which is why, like, the film yeah. I, I thought of most prominently was uh, Ben Wheatley's Kill List, which is really <laughs> similar in that it is two-thirds of just a, a ripper of a horror movie that's, like, pulse-pounding, you never know where it's headed, and then it just heads in a direction I've seen a hundred times. It's like, oh, the Wicker Man. Like, yeah, I saw the fucking Wicker Man. And I've seen <laughs> Rosemary's Baby, and I don't need the same fucking endings over and over again just tacked on to these movies that spend the bulk of their runtime being pretty rich and interesting films that, that are, like, tackling some serious psychological issues. And, you know, it, Wheatley was seemingly really interested in this inherent, like, animalistic violence in, in his protagonist, and then... I don't know. It's just both of these films just build to something that makes no sense to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and the witch is an interesting comparison, but I think where the witch succeeds, where Hereditary doesn't, is from the get go. There's no question that the the titular witch is real. Like we know that there's an actual fucking witch. There's never any question. Almost yeah. immediately, um, because, you know, we see the baby get stolen under weird circumstances. We see a witch in the woods literally, like, grinding the baby into fucking strawberry jam. Like, we, we see all these things. There's never a question about that. And because Hereditary kind of walks this line for a while where it's making you question, you know, because of Tony Collette's mental state in the movie, what's real and what isn't, it doesn't necessarily stick the ending uh, by any stretch and I guess I, I kind of had similar feelings about the, the Babadook too which I enjoyed but and, and that movie kind of fails in a different way but similar where in the third act of the Babadook it's just like okay and here's this really clean simple ending to an otherwise very complex movie uh, whereas Hereditary is just like we're just going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks in the end see the Babadook's ending to me was perfectly satisfying because it it did know what it was it was like okay this movie mm -hmm. is about grief and depression and we're gonna make that very obvious with this this ending and uh you know it, it's probably a little too cute but it at least is very faithful to what came before it which is sure something i can't say with this film and I, I'm interested that, that Sean mentioned House of the Devil, because that's another movie that a lot of people did take umbrage with, with sort of a, a slapstick, tacked-on ending. And I'm I'm not entirely sure why I feel like that movie gets away with it. I think it's because it's such an homage to kind of these, these sleazy, wacky films from a, a different era. It wasn't meant to be high art it didn't have great ambition it was always it was always sort of a campy b movie that just happened to be more affecting than than most but it never sought to explore much of anything it also I've is always, in 127 minutes long that's true as well yeah it is i i've always thought i i, I love the ending to uh 
The House of the Devil, I think it works in the context of that film. And I think, like what Sean mentioned, not just that Hereditary doesn't know what it wants to be, but it has this this sort of identity crisis because we're, we're mentioning all these movies and it, it, it wants to be so many of these movies that it ultimately flounders and doesn't succeed as any single one of them. Yeah. That's a, that's a fair assessment. And even like, so I try not to read too much about movies before I go in, not because I give a fuck about spoilers or anything, but I just want to, I don't know. I just, I prefer to read things after I've seen it and then just sort of like, put my thoughts in conversation with other smart smarter people probably uh yeah like us yeah you know just kind of like you jabronis <laughs> <laughs> like george costanza's dad but you I, like to go in fresh yeah i like to go in fresh <laughs> i but what I, I i read an interview with the director and he was talking about like influences and, and things that he was thinking of when he was writing this and it was just it was one movie after another and it's basically all the things that we've mentioned today and then some, but yeah, I, I think it's it's a combination of him just maybe not necessarily knowing the direction that he wanted to go, or possibly just taking on too much at once, and the, and it becomes kind of overstuffed. But it's it's hard for me because as much as I dislike the third act of this movie, the first two acts were so damn good for me that it's it's hard for me <laughs> to yeah, like say kind of ah, bought fuck you this. some mileage yeah yeah exactly. there's there's enough craft here that i would be comfortable recommending it i just give a qualified recommendation you know don't expect what some critics are lauding it as i i don't think it's some modern masterpiece i think it i, I think this i think it's interesting to admire in the film for sure and we talked about like him taking all those influences and and that's not um it's interesting to hear, but that's not like a, um, that doesn't automatically mean that somebody's not gonna you know know what they're doing. Obviously, I mean it's interesting because we have Get Out, right? Like that's some that's a movie that Jordan Peele like you know was talking about a ton of movies in his marketing and showing screenings and stuff. And it's it, it, I guess this is more of a testament to how good that movie is. Um, that somebody can take all these influences and bring us something that feels really original, <clears throat> and then and it's his first movie, um, and then we have Hereditary, which is the first movie, and same budget uh, within the same budget, and uh, uh, has all these influences, and it just seems a bit muddy. I mean, I'm sure he, you know he's got plenty. He's probably younger than all of us, and uh, I'm sure he's got plenty of time to make something that feels I mean that matches his craft and theme but yeah I don't think this is it yeah I'd like to see what he does after this that's what really intrigues me because I I went back and I watched some of his short films which also deal with things like grief and family trauma and stuff like that seems to be something that he's comfortable exploring Uh, obviously and and provocation yeah but yeah, I, I just I just kind of want to see what he does next, and if if he continues on an upward trajectory, if he ends up doing something, uh, maybe not so great. But I don't know. I, I got high hopes. That's yeah. that's all. I'm, yeah. I'm skeptical because I sat around waiting for over a decade for Ben Wheatley to make a good movie, and it just never really happened. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's got something. He's gonna put it together. It's like, 
nah. I mean, he makes what he wants to make, and uh, it's not entirely unsuccessful, but uh, he's never put it all together for me. It's never, what, I've never seen that? a film of his where I was like, wow. He made Tower Heist, right? No, he did not make Tower Heist. <laughs> what was that, that shoot 'em up movie that he made that wasn't called Free Fire? Free Fire. Yeah, Free Fire. That was fine. I had fun watching that. I think. What was I, the I, shiv- I, What was the Shivers uh, remake or whatever? Oh, that. Uh, oh, High Rise. Uh, High Rise. High Rise. Tower Heist. Uh, High Rise. I didn't watch it. JG Ballard. It's, it's on Netflix. It's kind of a mess. I mean, I would. I would say if you say Free Fire is is kind of all right. Every Ben Wheatley movie is kind of all right. They're all. They're all fine. Uh, not, not a field in England, well, let me tell you. That is the only one I have not seen, but every other one that I have seen, it, it's can, not like I decry them as trash. They all have something to them, but he's never gotten over that hump. And I, I get the same sense from this Aster fellow. I bet you I'm going to be disappointed continuously with his output, but hopefully I'm not. Nostromiros with the prediction. <laughs> hey, let's talk about another movie that I think is a person's debut, or at least they're a person who hasn't made that many movies, and this is their big, like, mainstream splash of a film. We all watch Revenge, which was fucking awesome, and it's probably the best thing I've seen this year so far. It's a good movie. Mostly because you guys were like, oh, have you seen The Rider? And I'm like, no, fuck you, I live in Milwaukee, it's not here yet. Saw it in Lansing. How did head. you see it in Lansing? That doesn't make except I, well, I got I got like first reform like two weeks ago, but I, I can't get the fucking rider. Uh, That's odd. I don't know. We get first reform Friday, so I guess we're ahead of you. Maybe they'll, you'll get the rider Friday. Maybe fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But yeah, did you guys all watch Revenge? Yeah. 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 Hell yes. This is another one. It was a good time. I, I, it was a good time. Did anybody see That's it in the theater? not a good way to describe that. Did, did, I, did Jake see yeah, it in the theater? I did see it in the theater. I saw it in the same showing that Nathan Fielder was in, apparently. Ah, did he pull any of his famous stunts? <laughs> he had on an oversized suit, and he was. it looked like he was eating chili out of the, the wrist of his sleeve. It was really weird. Yeah. Nice. I, I had an opportunity to go see the theater, but uh, if I would have, I guarantee it would have been like two people in it, and I would have had to drive out of my way. What well, well, did that play at the Lansing Film Festival? Oh, it did. I should have gone to that because that was at like ten. That was at like ten p.m. And yeah, you you would have had to walk six blocks out of your way. <laughs> No, that I forgot about that. No, I was talking about it came to Grand Rapids, but I almost went to that, and it was at 10 p.m., and I was like, oh, that seems late. And then Jack was like, ah, I got reservations, and I was like, okay, fine. This is kind of gives me an excuse to not go see it, but I really wish I would have. Yeah. I, I ended up watching it uh, via not-so-legal stream, but, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's one of the few times where I've watched a movie, and I'm like, there was, I had the same reaction when I saw Lady Bird, where I was just like, there's no way a fucking guy could have made this and it would have made any lick of sense or been half as good of a movie. And this is another one where it's like, clearly, if you put a man at the helm of this, you're going to have fucking exploitative trash. But the way that it takes the, the rape revenge like exploitation film and kind of flips it on its head while still playing it relatively straight is insane. Like, the, the level of nuance at play in this movie is just astronomical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose in some ways it still is exploitative trash, but of the of the highest order. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. the highest order, exactly. It's not like Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave. Although it is, I mean, that's that's the basic premise, right? Is this woman is sexually assaulted, and she's left for dead, and then she goes back and kills all the motherfuckers. 
But what's yeah? Go ahead. I, I was just, the, the problem with like Last House on the left and and I spit on your grave is well, I mean you have the central problem of oh the woman is literally empowered by the fact that she's sexually assaulted and that's a little dicey. But on top of that, the way that the film those films are shot and the way they, that they film their villains is it's very uh, problematic. <laughs> To say the yeah. least, last house, the last house of the left, especially because it's like there's there's these weird elements where last house on the left thinks that it's funny, and it's not funny. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Where there's like these random cutaways to these Keystone cops <laughs> who are trying to solve the, the yeah. mystery of the the rape. Exactly. So we see like a violent rape and these like crazy criminals, but then the movie just yeah it cuts away. It's just like yakety sax is playing and. Officer Dum Dum is running around tripping over himself. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, in revenge, she's um, empowered by psychotropics. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a little peyote, man. That's all you need. Uh, I what, what I what I find really kind of like, um, I guess, haunting in retrospect is um, is the way that the men. So it's it's about these three men who, or it's about this this woman who is sleeping with this dude who's cheating on his wife and, and family or whatever. And, um, and two of his buddies show up and I think they're like in the military or something like that. There's a shitload of guns. No, and, they're just hunting. Oh, hunting. Yeah, I couldn't figure and that they, out. They, Are they like criminals? I, I wasn't sure what their enterprise was. But yeah. no, they, Soon they, enough. They just like to shoot like <laughs> giant desert animals, you know? Yeah. All right. So they show up and then um, and they hang out with this girl for a night and she's she's just like being herself and she's just like putting herself out there and and dancing in front of them and blah, blah, blah. And then the next day, one of the men, not the one that she's sleeping with, uh, takes that as like an invitation, like the fact that she was just like being um I don't know. She was dancing in front of them, and she was being sexual and whatever. That it was. She's, like a, and she's wearing all these skimpy outfits too. Yeah, and, and so he kind of took that as like an invitation to like <clears throat> do like have his or that she would want to sleep with him, uh, like carte blanche, and um, then he assaults her. But um, what I what's haunting is is that the other men just kind of. <laughs> The other men just cover up for him. Like, instead of, like, instead of confronting him or instead of the guy actually, like, caring about her and, like, doing something about it, it's all, it's all, it turns into this quick, like, just cover up and, like, oh, well, she's weak, we can, like, get rid of her type of thing. Yeah, it's, it's upsetting, to say the least. And then, God, like, so her whole transformation, too, is really interesting because they end up, her actual like boyfriend ends up pushing her off this cliff and she gets impaled on this like tree branch and then she sort of like pulls herself off of that in a really gross weird way but uh the the part that kind of develops after that she she's still wearing you know she's wearing like a tank top and like these short shorts and stuff like that but the way the camera frames her it, it never sexualizes her once she's kind of put in this position of, you know, Mm -hmm. seeking out the titular revenge. And I I just think it's really interesting that they they use, like, mud and blood and grime to basically cover her body like armor, so you barely even notice the fact that she's not wearing a lot of clothing. And 
Also, I really like how it's shot in a way where it did it look like a fucking Michael Bay film to you guys at any point oh, yeah. too? Yeah. Oh yeah, Which is great. skin tones are super saturated. Yeah, it was like if if Michael Bay was Euro trash. Yeah, exactly. And and good. It's it's just so great because. Like I, I feel like if anybody else tried to do this movie, they would try and make it like Ugh, gritty and dark and gray and brown. And this is just like day glow and blown the fuck out. Well, yeah, I would. I mean, the male characters for the most part might as well be in a Michael Bay movie too. They're all kind of like goofy idiots. It's oh, a yeah. lot of With old big guns. antics in, in that group of people. But there's always that sort of undercurrent of violence and. Uh, yeah, it, this this movie interested me throughout, especially the finale is a sight to behold. Oh, the the, the oh. finale is is great, and that's actually my favorite part too. Is you know, it's it's this movie where we're, we're used to in horror films, in these kind of rape revenge films, exploitation films, action films, we're used to women in skimpy clothing basically being you know victimized by big strong men. And in the finale of this movie, that's completely subverted. So we have this guy who is running for his life, bare-ass naked, like, just dicks out for, like, 20 minutes, covered in blood, slip-sliding all over the place. Like, oh, oh it is insane. The amount, I've they, never seen this level of blood in a movie. Yeah. they had The production kept halting because they kept running out of blood on the set. <laughs> you know, so me and Jack were talking offline about how uh, it frames her in the opening as, like, you know, somewhat similar to something like a, a J, uh, JCVD or, like, Commando, uh, you know, like an Arnie movie from the 80s where it really does, like, sort of... Uh, I don't know. It just kind of like uses her, like looks at her body as like this tool. And then like you said, it does change, but you know, like the opening of commando where it's just like all over this, like glistening body. And it's, it's not like you want to fuck this dude. (laughs) You know, like it's just like, look at this. I don't know. It's yeah, well, and, explain, and the glistening yeah. body that you're, you're referencing isn't a woman's body in command. Right. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger's. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, it's Arnold yeah. carrying a tree through the woods. Yeah. And this, yeah, it completely subverts it. And this is a woman in her assets, for lack of a better word. Um, but it, it doesn't, it's not, it's not used as like a cheap titillation tactic, uh, which is what a lot of those all that grimy exploitation films do like it's it's like oh look we're violating a naked woman isn't this isn't this great don't you turn on viewer and i but believe it, the i believe the finale shares a uh a uh, penetration phys- like uh with commando when she kill when she's like trying to kill him or i can't remember because there's like 18 blows before he like saran wraps himself but um <clears throat> that that i remember being in commando as well uh where he sticks like the tube through the dude yeah he's oh, impaled yeah. on a steam yeah. pipe yeah. well yeah let off some steam in it <laughs> <laughs> that's the one yeah but well, yeah. it's obviously in conversation with the with that kind of stuff sure <clears throat> sure yeah it's it's a hell of a movie and if you're listening to this right now i, I would say definitely seek it out if it's playing in a theater near you anywhere fucking find it it's worth it 
If not, uh, check the internet. It's readily available there. Or and, and you know what? Give this person some money. Go buy a Blu-ray, you cheap ass. Jesus, what's wrong? Or with like you? subscribe to Shudder because I think. Oh, yeah. I did want to say one thing that I didn't realize until today, or I, I didn't hear about till today. So this was, uh, I believe, this was like um, distributed by a company called Neon. Are you guys familiar with Neon? Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. They uh, released the Bad Batch. Yeah, Neon is, um, uh, you know who has a hand in Neon? One Tim League. Ugh. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh. Well, well now I, I feel bad. Yeah, he might not have read this film just right, I guess, but. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's he just like, saw- God, what a horrifying film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing he just saw that it was a rape revenge film and just kind of like uh, rubbed his hands together and, and didn't actually read the script. So uh, that's how I'm going to choose to think about that. <laughs> well, I suppose you could even read this script and be like, oh, this is going to be some sleaze. <laughs> it's just yeah. the execution entirely. So, yeah, uh, again, I feel like. I'm lame for not saying a ton about this movie, but it's at its course just like elevated grindhouse, and it's spectacular and uh, a blast. But check it out! Oh man, what what would Jim from the Office call this one, Myros? Uh, I don't think he could handle it. Not <laughs> nah, enough. N- not enough cool dads. No, there's not a yeah. He, he would he would have actually cast himself as the uh, the victim here, and he would have uh, it, we would have switched from a, a woman to well, sexy Jim with a beard. Yeah, the third act. Well, he actually third act, her father he, just swoops into the cabin and saves the day. Oh yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> well, he he watched it and he said he was quoted as saying that he enjoyed it up until the hero died at the end of the movie. <laughs> there was just that foot part. Do you guys remember the foot part? Uh, oh, the broken glass. Oh, is, is it? oh God. Yeah. That was like, tough to watch. Yeah, that was a rough gore effect right there. Yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, for, again, thanks for letting me think about that. Yeah, a lot uh, of blood in that one. Yeah, another Krasinski complaint. This was uh, too loud for him. Too loud, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what, we got one more movie to talk we about. We do. It's a oh glorious my God. one. It's, it sure is something. God damn it. All right, so I have a theory. And this theory is, we all know that the Asylum made their name making cheap knockoffs of popular movies that sucked. But I think Blumhouse has, has reached the point where they're making cheap knockouts of movie, knockoffs of movies that are actually good. So yeah. we all went and saw Upgrade, which is... Also, just basically, like, what if RoboCop was about Elon Musk and had nothing to say, but was also super entertaining? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's it. All right, podcast. Over. Terminator. There, there's, there's enough Terminator in there too, right? I mean, not really original Terminator. Maybe, maybe like T two. Although you need more Edward. No spoilers. I haven't seen it. Uh, what, what the fuck I, yeah. is Upgrade, man? I don't think a lot of people know what this movie is. And like, people that I've talked to are just like, isn't that the movie with the really dumb poster where the guy just has a beard and he's standing in front of like a red sign or something? I'm like, yeah, that's it. But that's not really what the movie's about. Yeah, I honestly. Um uh, I honestly don't remember it uh, very well. Like it kind of uh, evaporated quickly, but I did really enjoy it. But uh, it's this dude who uh, gets into like this manufactured car accident, 
and this is in the future, and he's in this this uh, this car it's, autonomous yeah, vehicle driving car. And um, and yeah. it, it, he gets into an accident, and he doesn't really know why. And then uh, he he turn he runs into Elon Musk as a part of it, and um, like mini me, Elon Musk, and um, and then he uh, has this chip planted in him, and it turns out that that chip is like this uh, computer aid that. Uh, can basically m- make him do whatever he wants and more. Yeah, and and it's so it kind of like it takes over his body and and talks to him. So he's in conversation with it the entire time. But yeah, what's the name? What's the name of it? He says stem, stem, stem. Yeah. Uh, the the thing that I love though is whenever stem takes over and the action kind of kicks up. This movie is basically just like if you weaponized dubstep and turned it into like a, a form of like martial arts. That's the way the action scenes are shot are fucking ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen a movie shot like this in terms yeah, of the fight love, scenes. I think that the um, well, what's the, what's the dude's name? Like Logan Marshall Green? Is that right? Yeah. He like when he he does some really uh, dexterous acting here when the fighting starts, like. And the stem takes over, and he has to do this, like, dissociative, like, he's watching himself fight this stuff, and it's, like, funny, and he pulls it off really well, and um, it's a good time. Yeah, it's a really yeah, interesting ba- physical performance, to be sure. Oh, yeah, he, he carries the whole damn thing. Like, I, there's, there's a very good chance this movie would be basically unwatchable without the right person in the lead role, and he somehow does it, even though his character is more or less like, Joe America Everyman. But right. it, it works, and I fucking love the Elon Musk guy too. What is his actual name in the movie? Does anybody remember? No, uh, it's just Elon Musk. Sure, sure. So, um, I, but yeah, he looks like know. he looks like if Elon Musk was portrayed by a kid from like a nineties. Dennis DeHaan. Like he looks like yeah, Dennis DeHaan. But I don't want to punch his face. <laughs> I just I just kept thinking of like nineties teen romance movies. Like he looks like teen heartthrob yeah. Elon Musk. But yeah, Jake. I think you, Jake. You loved this movie, right? I had a blast watching it, and I don't know if that's just because there's been a glut of decent movies in the theaters. But I mean, I went in Sunday afternoon, and a uh, hundred minutes later, I walked out saying, "Upgrade's the best movie ever made." You know, that's all. Bloomhouse. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's really a lot of fun, and and I, I'm loving. I'm starting to love Bloomhouse's business model, where you find a filmmaker who has an idea, give them five million dollars, and let them run with it. It's great, and and it's it's they're really starting to see some good returns. Um, like yeah. I mean, Get Out brought them to Oscar gold for sure, but I mean, yeah, just just more little films like this, and I'll I'll take any a hundred of these over the next MCU whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I, I what I what I hope happens with the well, I, okay. So the Elon Musk thing, I think, I think that uh, I was a little disappointed with the fact that it so, did it, it did sort of like inoculate him as the villain by making it just like the computer, and it's just real, like we, real quick. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the Elon Musk character. His name is Aaron, which is <laughs> Elon with error or Aaron, which is just Elon with an R. That's how it's spelled. Uh, Aaron. Uh, but I felt like it needed to have 
if, if he was just a puppet, it needed to have, like, me and Myros were talking afterwards that it needed to do that, like, sort of, uh, he mentioned RoboCop boardroom stuff, like, set up this infrastructure of evil that that is rooted in, in human uh, knowledge and, and will. Um, and I really hope, I think that this could be a really great table setter for a franchise, like a small franchise. I mean, they did Purge. And that's kind of blown up, but uh, that that has sort of a volatile premise. But like something smaller than than Purge uh, franchise, where it's just like this. You every couple of years we get this weird upgrade movie, and it's just like kind of expounding on this universe because there's a lot they could do. Yeah, I think that th- yeah. this movie's biggest weakness is the fact that it's like an eighty minute long movie. Um, it is. Yeah, it's it's fun, but it's very very slight, and it doesn't. You know, RoboCop obviously is rife with subtext, but this movie is not, and that's fine. It doesn't need to be. It yeah. is exactly. It, it's great at what it wants to do, and it's entertaining. But there's there's just a few things missing that could have. It's the rare movie these days where I'm like, boy, I I wish it was a half hour longer. You don't say that. Everything is a half hour too long these days. But uh, this one could have used a little more meat on the bone. Like, I just... You never really get a great... The cop character is like nothing. Well, most of the characters Uh, are. I mean, there's like the the main antagonist outside of... I, I mean, Elon Musk fellow turns out to be, I suppose. Well, I guess not even. He... It, no. It's a twist and turn as to who the villainous. Uh, You're talking about the guy with the, guys, with the weird hair, Mr. Mustache. Yeah, uh, Fisk. Sure, but guys is apparently his name. Yeah, the internet's just, the enemy. We know that, Come right? On. Right, but it's <laughs> you know the, I needed. I wanted to get a better sense of the world, and I wanted to get a better antagonist. Like I, I need me a Clarence Boddicker in my ro- RoboCop. It's just necessary. Well, maybe maybe we'll get upgrade to Barandal, and uh, Stem will fight off a warehouse with a hundred guys in it. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. I yeah, I think that's just part of the problem for me. Is just the limitations of the budget can only really. Like the fight scenes are pretty nifty and nimble, but they're not very long. No, how, uh, is, over. how, how has the budget worked for Purge as it's gotten uh, as it's gone along? Has it grown? Well, yeah, because the first Purge takes place inside one house, right? And Ethan it's Hawk, supposed to be a though. countrywide thing, but each Purge is expanding to various parts of the city. I, I gotta and say, the though, marketing budget is probably larger. Oh yeah, the, the, yeah, the marketing exactly. budget is probably larger than the budget for the film. The first Purge, though, is like the most hilariously misguided movie ever. So you have this premise about like, yeah. like widespread, yeah, large scale destruction and murder, and, and like it's kind of an intriguing premise, if not a bit like dumb and comic booky. But then they're like, okay, so what are we gonna do with this premise? Home invasion movie. <laughs> like what? And it ends up if I remember. If I remember correctly, it ends up like reaffirming the bourgeoisie. Oh yeah, with that family, hundred okay. percent. And and the rest of the franchise kind of does that too. I saw Myros wants to keep talking about Purge. Yeah, no, Myros I was gonna Purge. I was gonna give an update uh, as to the budget. The Purge, uh, oh. the original Purge was three million. Uh, the sequel Purge Anarchy was nine million. Purge Election Year was ten million, and there's no listed budget yet for the upcoming first Purge. Oh, so, God. Well, you know what else is why these films have low budgets? Because they don't star anybody. It like, does. Logan Marshall Green, he, well, I mean, come on. he's He'll he'll do 
Especially then. That was, this is pre-boyhood, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah. is pretty boy. He, yeah, did, but he did that fucking vampire movie right before that too. Hey, he was slumming in horror town. This was post Newton Boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deep cut. Anyways, yeah, I, I I think the thing is with the Purge is, I, I just I don't know how they can't get that series right, and and it, maybe it's because it's a little too on the nose. Because, like, the Elon Musk yeah. thing, it was kind of fun because it's a very topical sort of jab, even if it's a, a punch that they yeah, also... It's not trying pull. to be super political. Yeah, but, God, the purge election <laughs> is... It's basically just like, hey, what if the Trump-Clinton election cycle resulted in widespread, like, murdering? That's that's basically it. It's fucking stupid. It's, it's like a super half-baked idea. And... Yeah, I, I think hey. there's there's potential for someone to do something cool with the series, like the new one. Even I, I see like the the first purge or whatever. They sort of hint that it's about like, oh, like racial discrimination and the government targeting black activists and things like that. But I know in my heart that they will find a way to fuck that up. Well, at least it's a means to an end in terms of uh, cost benefit. Um, and same with the whole M Night stuff. I mean, I don't hate Split. Um, but I'll take, you know, I hope they make another split. I mean, I don't know. Are they doing the unbreakable? They are. Whatever? They're making, they're making glass. The sequel to split and unbreakable. Uh, and that'll probably, that'll probably suck, but I'm glad they're doing it because it's going to give them a ton of cash. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I wouldn't hold my breath for upgrade too, by the way, because uh, if you look at something no, like not. the purge, it made like $90 million on a $3 million budget. Uh, Whereas, uh, upgrades mm-hmm. hovering around like 10 or so right now I think yeah. Happy Death Day 2 might happen I mean that's um, I feel I, feel like I that's think that already Steve. is happening oh nice when they're gonna explore how she got into the time loop in the first place that's the room that's the rumor at least I don't know this has been Jake's news corner it's <laughs> the sequel we need thanks Jake <laughs> yeah Wow. You've been listening to, to LA Scoop. I just want to turn this into like a Bloomhouse podcast from now on. That is what I mean, we kind of already are. Yeah, that's basically yeah. what we do. I mean, they, they put out three movies place. a month. So, yeah, that's that's it. I, I, Truth we, or Dare. Truth or Dare is still the best horror film of the year, and I'm going to stand by that until uh, <laughs> something better comes out. I, I think, I mean, you could you could make that argument, but that's the other problem you get into, too, is like, I don't know. Is Revenge a horror movie? I don't know. Um, no. Truth or Dare is a horror movie, but I, I think I like it not because it's scary, but because it's fucking hilarious. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. So I just happened to look up Bloomhouse on uh, the old Wikipedia. Uh, the first film they uh, released was Paranormal Activity, which was made for a budget of $15 million and grossed $193 million. And that's why Bloomhouse is operating how they are. Can we talk about how that had fifteen million dollar budget? I'd have guessed about. Yeah. I'm sorry, 15, 15, 15, I misspoke. Fifteen thousand. Okay, That's that a little bit better. Sense. Yeah. Oh, I was like, yeah. I was like, I can go buy some cameras to put up. What, in the, what kind of? Yeah, I was gonna say, what kind of iPhone tripod were they rocking there? That's fucking crazy. Yeah, I misspoke. I'm sorry. That Jesus. that was on me. <laughs> Fifteen million. That makes okay. Wait, wait, wait. That's insane, though. That's here's insane. here's what I need to know: yeah. Is it Bloomhouse or Blumhouse? How am I supposed to pronounce it's Bloomhouse? Do we know that for sure? Blum- That's confirmed. Yeah, I've, I've heard interview with Jason Bloom. Oh, the titular Bloom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, or Steve? Don't you know Steve Bloom, the voice actor of Spike Spiegel? 
Oh, that's that's he, true. Steve, that's he's, true. He's basically he's he's just taken the high concept thing that was big in the like eighties and nineties and just turned it into uh, really like basement level, like like you know, de elevated for the lack of a better word, uh, projects that he thinks are cool. I, I don't even know. Like it feels like. I know I mentioned the asylum before, but I think like a better analog would be uh, like Canon films, except where Canon did everything cheap and shitty. I feel like Bloomhouse has somehow stumbled on a way to do cheap and good, which is amazing. <laughs> well, <laughs> but well, it, I think it definitely has in- like a, a like a renegade Canon films feel to it. I think what's what allows them to do stuff that we think is interesting is that he he or his team have an eye for talent that. Obviously, is like people that have a genuine interest in what they're doing and aren't look, like there is absolutely no pretense um, or like, you know, look for prestige. And that goes a long way for a lot of people. Well, I, yeah. I think maybe even oh, wow. Corman is like a really good analog because I, oh, I don't yeah. think that they really give a shit if these movies are good. They're 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 giving, you know. X number of directors uh, a specific budget and saying make whatever the fuck you want and it's working right now because the studios are making like one type of uber expensive film and there's lots of gaps in the market as as is uh, evidenced by the theater slate in the last couple months. Yeah, and the marketing, a- a mar- the marketing can go like can go word of mouth. Like something ha- like Happy Death Day is such a home run because you can just go, oh, it's Groundhog Day horror, and y- and you have like asses in seats. Right. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's it's an easy pitch to make. For sure. For sure. Yeah. They they have a hell. Bloomhouse has a hell of a lineup coming up. Just you know, rattle this off real quick. They have the first purge. It's July fourth. Then they have Unfriended the Dark Web. Hell yeah. And then they're, re- they're releasing Spike <laughs> Lee's Black Klansman. What? David Gordon, David Gordon Green's Halloween. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Glass. And next March, it'll be Jordan Peele's new film, Us. Damn. They're, they're, go- they're so, going yeah. all prestige now. I, I don't know. They're dead to me, I think. <laughs> I don't know. They're A24 I mean, then, now. They're just A24. Because then they're yeah. following it up with something called Spooky Jack. And then oh, they announced yeah. Spooky Now we're talking. Happy Day 2. I hope Gallows 2. I hope it's a... I hope, How do you I, make a sequel to The Gallows? You just throw another shark at it? Break Blake Lively? I, uh, listen. I hope so. No, that's Shallows, dude. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, gallows is entirely different. What the fuck is The Gallows? I never saw the gal. Gal's like found um, footage, dumb. I think. Yeah, right? like some sort yeah. of play yeah, or something. I think it's supposed to be terrible. It's set in like a, a, a school after hours, I think, mm-hmm. during a play what, rehearsal. Can we talk was, about Spooky was, uh, Jack a little bit more? <laughs> yeah, Let's I hope this out. is Francis Ford Coppola's pr- uh, pr- property that they doesn't up. doesn't have a director, but it's set to be released on uh, September seventeenth, twenty twenty one. So in three years, we'll get Fuck, to see yeah. Spooky Jack. It's Here's just going to be. Gonna be <laughs> A family film is what the, I. Oh yeah, say. it's gonna be. It's gonna be. Uh, oh, it's a dream. It's a DreamWorks animated. Oh fuck that! I was gonna say if it's like yeah. hologram, like animated, uh, Robin Williams back from the dead. It, it, yeah, S- Steve, it comes out the same year as uh, Boss Baby too. Well, fuck my my twenty twenty one is set. <laughs> But hey, hope 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 lives because later on, Bloomhouse is releasing something called Boogeyman Pop. I get down with that. Well, and, and yeah, these are just things right. that they've announced. I have a feeling that yeah. they probably, like, buy scripts and shoot movies in, like, six weeks and then just fucking <laughs> dump them in. So I'm sure we'll get plenty exactly. of good stuff. 
Yeah. yeah, I kind of want to know if this spooky Jack's even a real thing because I just pulled up the image on IMDb and it looks like a fucking ten-year-old slapped together. Well, well, we know that through really through when does Happy Death Day two come out? Like April, uh, twenty twenty uh, one. Sometime oh. doesn't have an official. Oh, okay, date. well through March at least they're going to be so flush with cash. Like that's an insane yeah. lineup. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good for them. All right, boys. All right. I think it's time to wrap things up. So, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Oh God. Uh, oh, I watched. Um, I watched uh, Claire Denis' uh, Beau Travail. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. French movie. Yeah. Um, and which is kind of a you know it's canonized uh film um and i have known about it for a long time and i finally got around to watching it because i wanted to just watch more denis before seeing let the sunshine in and um it's an absolutely gorgeous movie it just like lives up to the to its reputation that it has in art house circles and um it's just this movie about uh men and male bodies and and toxic jealousy and uh it's beautiful beautiful movie that's really hard to describe all right it's got what's his name from uh holy motors Den- denny levon oh well now i'm interested you got me with that myros what are you putting over uh, i haven't seen anything just go watch truth or dare again uh well i guess i could <laughs> as we would self-promote uh steve and i have a new project called caustic content wherein we uh are <laughs> Digging through the dregs of the internet, so yeah, that's fun. does that does that mean you're uh, you're putting over the movie The Spy Who Boned Us in our most recently recorded episode? Yes, uh, putting it over. Just you know, just trust me. Go watch that. You won't regret it. Don't watch that. Holy shit, Jake! What are you putting over? Yeah, so I've been watching a lot of films by uh, Hal Hartley, who uh, sort of rose in the early '90s as another. Uh, unique and interesting voice of uh, American independent film. Um, I'm going to put over uh, what many consider to be his most epic film, uh, which is called Henry Fool, is uh, released in 1997 and um, actually sort of uh, began life as a as a as a before trilogy of sorts because he made two sequels to it that take place about seven years apart from the original. But, uh, yeah, Henry Fool, it's a very, very interesting film about a, uh, a garbage man meets a homeless drifter, and the homeless drifter convinces him that he's a poet, and he writes a giant book of poetry and becomes famous and gets a Nobel Peace Prize, and characters are often very bitter and caustic towards each other, but it, it's incredibly well-written and... Uh, and the ending is uh, very emotionally poignant. And so, uh, yeah, I recommend Henry Fool. Check it out. Good stuff, man. Uh, poignant. I'm going to put over Dario Argento's The Cat of Nine Tales, which seems kind of weird, but uh, I've been watching a lot of his movies lately, and Harrow just put out a special edition of this one. And I think it's kind of one of his underrated <laughs> movies as far as, far as his yellow stuff goes. Like, People always talk about his debut, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and of course they talk about like Suspiria and Deep Red. Uh, Cat of Nine Tales. Oh, I heard that. I've heard some good stuff about the trailer for that. The the trailer for Cat of Nine Tales? Suspiria. Steve. No. Suspiria? Suspiria? Oh, God. Are you ta- you talking about the new one? Yeah, that's a real fucking treat. Shoot me in the head. Oh, oh, yeah. it hasn't come out yet? Oh, God. 
No, you know, no. It's, you know how you know it's not going to be good? Bloomhouse isn't touching it. <laughs> That's exactly it. No, it's just, it's kind of weird to me that for the remake of Suspiria, they're like, hey, what if we muted all the colors, you know, since that was a, a signature thing in the original Suspiria. Here's what I'd like out of a Suspiria remake. Don't fucking remake Suspiria. How's that sound? Does that work for everyone? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you? Yeah, Great. Weird. Go watch Cat of Nine Tales. It's a weird little giallo film. Uh, it's it's not Argento's best work, but I, I think it's it's highly underrated, and uh, I, I take it over a lot of his later stuff. So yeah, there you go. All right, boys. Uh, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you could reach us at Optimism Vaccine. Uh, you could talk about your favorite Bloomhouse movies with us. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can email us. Maybe we'll even check our email. OptimismVaccine at gmail dot com. If you want to reach me specifically to. Uh, yell at me for calling Bloomhouse Blumhouse for so long or, or for opening a podcast by actually talking about the weather and my balls. Uh, you can reach me at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll tweet you a picture of my balls if you're lucky. Sean, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Glennis. Thanks. Jake, how about you? I'm on Twitter at Jake Tropila. T-R-O-P-I-L-A. Fantastic. Myros, you're a fucking liar. Uh, you're always trying to get people to latch out of my ghost Twitter account all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. you got a ghost Twitter. At Myrosity. It's there. I, Go find it. I encourage you to post uh, at this thing all you want, because I'll never see it. All right, so send uh, send just your most scandalous photos of your turgid little penises to at myrosity on twitter.com. <laughs> Wait, you don't like the word turgid? I, Is that the problem? I, I support this scheme. Once again, I, I don't even really know the password <laughs> to the account. Uh, have yeah. at it. Have, make it your yeah. penis haven. Make it your penis haven. <laughs> Hashtag dicks out for myros. That's what I want to see. We We want it. Make it happen. All right. We can just make it a repository of like otherwise bad decisions. Like if you if you're like thinking, oh, maybe I should send this to uh, someone uh, because they might like it, but you're not sure. Just send it there instead. Yeah, if you're like, I'm going to send this open letter to someone, just send it to Myros instead. Yeah, that'll that'll work. Or just the dick pics. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, we also take recipes for good like crock pot things. We're into that, so you can send that our way. Also, make sure, if you're listening to this podcast right now, look in the description. There's a link to our iTunes page. Make sure you click, click that. Make sure you give us five stars and a written review. Helps our visibility, and the more visible we are, the easier it is for us to create more content for you. And that's what you need in your life, right? You need more episodes of the Opfatcast. You need more caustic content. You need more uh, uh, Bond podcasts. You need... Other things that we do, we have like twenty podcasts. What the fuck's going on? Are we like, are we like a, a, a cable news network? We just have all these different shows. You'd think we were getting paid for it or something. You would think, man. Where's that slate money? I want that slate money. All right, forget it. Anyways, uh, that does it for this show, and we'll be back next week with more. Mm-hmm.